Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Blessings to each and every one of you. There's so, so much truth connected to that video. The idea that Jesus is coming again. He's returning. It's not a matter of you know, us trying to figure out when. But the truth for us is, what are we going to do until he returns? And that really does form much of the basis of our, of our series of climate change. Because the climate, the spiritual climate of our world is changing. There's no question about it. And so what are we going to do in response to those changes? Last week, we talked about three different, I gave you three oddities. The first one was to be aware. The second one was to be informed. And the third was to be courageous. Let me take just a second with the middle one, be informed. And why am I drawing attention to that? Well, today you have an opportunity to sign up and be a part of life groups. We are re-engaging our life groups, and I want to encourage you to, to do that today. And maybe you'd like to even be con, you know, considered leading a group. We would love to have that conversation with you. So see Aaron and Lauren. They'll be, in the, they'll be in the lobby at the end of the service. But why about informed? One of the things that life groups does for us, it helps us kind of connect dots, I guess you could say, to have conversations about things that we discuss on a weekend, to go deeper with that, to have a better understanding of what it means to, to follow Christ, to engage with a particular topic, so that we can be more and more informed as things continue to change around us. So I want to highly encourage, be a part of life, because we've got a mini semester coming up, May and June, and then into the fall we'll go to a full-blown life group semester, so we encourage you to be a part with us. Climate change, talking about climate change. No, we're not talking about the physical climate changes, but rather the spiritual climate changes that are all around us. In 1966, we were taking a family trip, and we had left our humble, our humble abode of Klamath Falls, Oregon, and we're driving to, uh, since, uh, excuse me, to St. Louis, Missouri, where my family is originally from. My mother and father both grew up there. So we're going back to see aunts, uncles, and cousins and hang out with family. Now, I want to tell you something. It, it was not a particularly wonderful trip for a 10-year-old, okay? It just wasn't. That's me. I was, I was 10 at the time. And here's the reason why. We were driving across country in the summertime in a car without air conditioning. It was just delightful. <laughs> Trust me, it wasn't delightful. There was nothing about it. Not only that... My dad made it a point that when you drove, you did not listen to the radio. So it was silence the entire trip, and a 10-year-old sitting in the backseat. I guess the only advantage I had, I had the whole backseat to myself. That was about it. There wasn't much else. And it just seemed like the trip was endless. Just look down. It's just on, we were on, on Route 66, and if you ever drove it at that particular time, there was nothing for just forever. And I would say, oh, I wish Missouri was just over that hill, you know, that kind of a deal. Well, it wasn't. Well, not a big deal. Well, we were nearing our destination. We came to Topeka, Kansas, and that's where we spent the night, was in Topeka, Kansas. Now, that doesn't seem like, you know, again, no big deal. Well, it was a big deal for me because just a few days before we were there in June of 1966, this is what Topeka, Kansas experienced, was some very severe weather resulting in a bunch of tornadoes over a period of about four or five days. And it, the amount of destruction that it did to the area was significant. So as a 10-year-old, all I could think about was the tornadoes are going to come back tonight. 
How do I know they won't be here tonight? I had no idea of how it all worked. All I knew was I was afraid. When I went to bed that night, and it's, it's really interesting, not as we all have certain memories of our childhood or certain events, there are certain things that just stay etched in our memory. I remember that night very distinctly. I was afraid that the tornadoes were going to come back, that that severe weather was going to affect me. Well, now fast forward 12 years, and this very fine, fine-looking couple. And yeah, that's me and my dear wife, Marcy. And I, she just informed me on that particular picture, she was with child. Uh, our, our oldest son, who was playing guitar on this side, that was the child to be born soon after that. Uh, so 1978. We're in, now we are in Montgomery, Ohio, and doing youth ministry and stuff in Montgomery. And so we hadn't been, we hadn't been there that long, and the next thing we knew, we heard the sirens go off, the tornado warnings. So what do we do? We run to the basement like you're supposed to do when the tornadoes are approaching. We run to the basement. We're all, you know, we're getting all hunkered down. We're getting ready to survive the storm of the century, we're sure. And we come up we, in the one little room, it was the laundry room is where we had positioned ourselves and we could get away from the windows that were there if something happened. But we go to the windows and we look outside and thinking that, man, this is going to be something else. And here are people walking their dogs, just doing whatever they're doing. And we're going, what is wrong with these people? Don't they know the end of the world is approaching? At least that was what we thought. Well, it went away. No harm, no foul. The tornadoes went other places or didn't materialize as they thought. Now, here's the reason I mentioned those two stories. Because I think there are times that we approach the climate change within our world just as we approached it. When I was a, when I was a 10-year-old, I was afraid. We, we look at the spiritual climate change that's happening all around us, and we could respond in fear. We could also respond not unlike those in Montgomery. did. If you're wondering where Montgomery is, it's a suburb of Cincinnati. Uh, and so you wonder, what were they doing? Well, to me, they were ignoring the signs. They paid no attention to the, to the sirens that were going off. They just continued life as normal. Or you could be a little bit like we did. We went downstairs and we were prepared. And now were we all that prepared? Well, no, but we did what we could. That really, I think, summarizes what we should be all about when it comes to facing the climate change that is very much a reality within our world. Uh, this series is really addressing the ever-changing change of the spiritual climate. And it is really important that it's not, again, so much about the, the hows of and the, the what-ifs, but rather it's this. It's thinking about what our response is to the climate change. And this question. I wonder how often do we really take time to observe the spiritual climate change of our society and culture? Do we just become so much a part of everything that's happening that we, we don't really pay much attention to it all? The scripture that really helps us in this series is found in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 11. And it's this verse. What kind of people ought you to be? When Peter writes that, and we're going to unpack this entire passage next week. When Peter writes that, he's been talking about that there are scoffers talking about that the second, this coming of the Lord. And, there's, and then he says things are going to be destroyed like this, etc. And he says essentially this. 
in light of all of this, what kind of people ought you to be? The video we watched a moment ago simply declares the fact that this world, as we know it, is coming to an end. Jesus is going to come again. He will return. And if you have an argument with that, your argument isn't with me. It's what Jesus has said. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it's really important that we, we kind of we grasp that. And also, I mentioned last week that we're going to be using some various bits of information from a book that I came across about two years ago, two and a half years ago, a title, Hope of Nations, written by Jonas Dickerson. And I promised you last week we'd talk a little bit about it. We're going to talk a little bit about it today and again next week. It's really interesting. When John, he, he's laying out this, this very compelling this very compelling information, and it's information from every source. It's not things that he's just making up. It's not things that he's, well, he thinks that, no, it's all from very, very strong sourced material. And he makes a couple of statements that I thought were really startling. And here's how he puts it. He's going to give us, ready, a couple of scenarios that are impossible. In other words, they're not going to happen. Here, here are two of the three that he shares. Two of the three things that he says, it's impossible scenarios. These things are not going to happen. Number one, the status quo will casually continue without a hiccup. In other words, what's the status quo? The existing state of affairs. He is saying, the way things are, if you think they're just going to stay as they are forever, that's impossible. And the reason we all know that, that things are always changing. And we cannot expect that things are just going to continue as they are. It's just not going to happen. The second thing he says that is impossible is an easy return to the good old days of Christianized America. That'll take place. Now, here's an image for you. It kind of gives you a glimpse of 1950s Christianity. It was a little bit like of what we experienced in the 50s. It seemed like everybody went to church. When I was growing up in the late 50s and early 60s, I can remember right down our street where we lived at 5203 Bryant Avenue in Klamath Falls, Oregon, the Sunday school buses would come by our house every Sunday and pick up children and take them to church. Every Sunday. You wouldn't give, nobody would even let your kids get in a bus today. Nonetheless, you would never see that occur. It just wouldn't happen. But this is that, it's, it's an idealism, isn't it? And many of us, we have such idealism about that era. We're saying, oh, if we could just, hear me, if we could just return to the good old days, everything would just be wonderful. You know, to, honestly, the good old days weren't all that good. They just weren't, okay? They had their, they had their issues. But we have, an, we have an idealistic idea of what this was. It's not going to happen. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Can I stop? What are those words? But don't panic. Okay. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. 
and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Now, it's pretty, you, you begin to read that, and you, you, I think you can begin to see some of these things are just happening all around us. They're everywhere. The wars, the threats of wars, the, the, the panic. Jesus said, don't panic. But why would he say, don't panic? Because people are panicking. And it's everywhere. If you don't think it's true, it's true. There are some trends that are occurring within our society that I think, again, reinforce what Jesus said. Listen to some of these trends. We have, we're living in a world that is post-Christian, post-Christian, beyond Christianity, a society moving farther and farther from Christian beliefs and foundation. We're a world that is post-truth, a society where truth and morality are feelings-based and right and wrong is increasingly mob-driven. In other words, the, the populace drives what's right and wrong. We're in a world that is post-knowledge. We're, not, we're dismissing history, we're rewriting history. It's interesting, I like these little uh, videos, like men on the street kind of interviews. And I've seen a bunch of them, and I saw one this past week. I thought it was fascinating, because it, it took place in the UK. And uh, it, was on the, it was on the streets of London, okay? So uh, let me say, uh, let me back up. I'm not sure it was London, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was London. I'll say it was in Britain, okay? Anyway, the question was asked, and they showed pictures, Okay. They showed pictures of famous individuals in history. So the individuals they were talking to could identify Cardi B and they could identify Drake. But to a British populace, they showed a picture of Winston Churchill and the persons could not identify Winston Churchill, pretty prominent individual in British history, I might add. And finally they concluded, oh, that's William Shakespeare. And I went, What? Now, if that was on the streets of America, I might give them a pass for not knowing Winston Churchill, but not in England. We're post-knowledge. We rewrite history. It's incredible. We're also in a society or a world that is post-church. Post-church. COVID-19 has affected the landscape of our world and our church unlike anything in history. Let me give you just a little example. This past week, Marcy was doing a little bit of work on some of our children's uh, curriculum stuff. And she's on this page that interacts with other churches that are doing the same kind of curriculum that we do. And it's a Facebook page, and it's, it's, it just gives ideas and thoughts and you know, updates on other things. It's just a really cool page. But the question was asked of other churches, what has been your attendance since you have come back to church in children's ministries? One church who had 600 children prior to COVID-19 now has less than 300. Another church who had 225 children in their children's ministries now has 22. Another church at 165 now has 65. Statistics are saying across the country, about 50% return to church. Let me tell you, we're living in a post-church era. It's just the reality. And it, honestly, what's happened is 
And I'm grateful for technology. Don't misunderstand. I'm grateful that we've got online opportunities. I am so grateful. Ten years ago, we didn't have that. We've got it, and I'm grateful for that. But I want to tell you something. There is nothing quite like being together in the house, worshiping together, praising God together, hearing the word of God preached, having an opportunity to pray and worship in the house together. The world is post-church, I would also say or suggest. Listen to this. Did you know that more than 340 million Christians are persecuted for their faith? One in eight who call Christ their savior are persecuted today because of their faith. That's today, 2021. We're post-church. We're post-church. We're post-Christian. We're also in a world of post-decency. What does that mean? Well, respectful disagreement is fading. Godly morality is vilified. And indecency is championed. We're in a world that's post-prosperity, or post-human, excuse me, post-human. About 62 million abortions since 1973 in the United States, not including what the worldwide abortion rate might be. Human trafficking, the lack of respect for the elderly, trafficking, human trafficking, global slavery, they all contribute to human life to being seen as a liability rather than an asset. A world is post-prosperity. There's potential all around the world for plateaued or declining economies. There's a world, our world is post-liberty. And if you don't think that's true, just look back over the last 12 months and see how much of our freedoms in the United States have been eroded because of what we have experienced. And it happened overnight. We're in a world that's post-peace. Two weeks ago, Portland, Oregon erupted again in violence. Minneapolis has blown up again in violence. It's tragic. It's tragic. It's hard to believe what we're witnessing. But not only do we see the internal struggles in our cities that show we're a post-peace, but our world, and this is by one person's definition, our, our world is, is increasingly an armed world. Remember what Jesus said? Wars and threats of wars. We live in a world that is increasingly armed. Harvard scholar Graham Allison wrote a book in 2017 titled Destined for War. Now what he did, he took a five, okay, he took a 500 year history and he said in 500 years when a number two economy is replaced by the number one economy, 12 out of 16 times it's resulted in war. 500 years, China is poised today to become the number one economy in the world. All this to say, Jesus said this would happen. If your argument, don't take your argument up with me. I like them just like the messenger guy. It's with Jesus and his eternal word. He said this would happen. We shouldn't be surprised, but I fear that we are surprised. Or we're like those individuals I showed last week with their heads stuck in the sand who just want to flat ignore it like the people walking when the siren is going on. Just walk your dog, just keep on doing what you're going to do. When the tornado's approaching, it just it's blows my mind. In light of all of this, what in the world am I to do? 
How do I face this kind of stuff? Why is, why is all this happening? Where is God in all of this? And is there any hope? Well, if you thought that was challenging, hang on, it's just going to get better, okay? I'm going to share a passage of Scripture this morning that I believe, and I think many would agree with me, maybe one of the most difficult passages in all of the New Testament. And what I, what I want you to hear from me this morning as your pastor is I've been compelled over these weeks as I have prepared for the series to present this passage of Scripture. If it was one of those things where, you know, I had a choice between this one and another one, I'd probably choose the other one. Okay? Now, I don't, I don't say that because I, no, I, I don't, I never fear or am uncomfortable sharing anything in God's Word, ever. Never have been, never will be. It's just challenging, and you need to know that. But there's truth here. And, and what I want to share, more than anything, I want to share the truth of God's Word, but I want to do so with grace. I want you to hear that there's, there's a God. Jesus has said that He is full of grace and truth. And it's my hope and my desire to share this passage and what I believe the Lord has put on my heart from that perspective of grace and truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God, excuse me, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Father, I pray that you will speak through your word, strengthen us, encourage us, give us hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. What a passage. What a passage. I mean, it is, it is just powerful, strong, and it should be in every one of our lives convicting. We should examine ourselves 
after reading that passage. So whether that's a popular passage or not, it's, it's an important one, and it's one for us that we've got to wrestle and grapple with today. So we're going to give you a couple of oddities through this passage. First oddity is this, is to be knowledgeable, is to be knowledgeable. To be knowledgeable is, to, is possessing or exhibiting knowledge, insight, understanding, intelligence, being well-informed, discerning, and perceptive. What might I be referring to? Well, I'm referring to, in this passage, the wrath of God. We need to be knowledgeable about the wrath of God. And two things. First, the wrath of God's a real thing. It's a real thing. Now, his wrath, God's wrath, is not like human anger. When we think of anger or wrath, we kind of look at ourselves as the model of that. That's not, God, that's not what this is. The wrath of God in this particular passage of Scripture means, it, rather, it's directed, hear this, it's directed against evil alone. It's against mankind's unholy and unjustified sin. God loves humankind. But God, his wrath is being outpoured against the evil and the unjustified sin, the unholiness. He says his, his wrath is revealed. Why? Why is it being revealed? Two things. First, because of the suppression of truth. That's the first thing that Paul says. Because of the suppression of truth. He addresses the suppression of truth regarding God's presence stamped on every human being. You and I are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 2 verse 27. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Understand very clearly, when we speak to issues such as a right to life and we speak against abortion, it is on this basis that every human being is created in the image of God. It is not a blob of tissue, it is a person created in the image of God. And when you suppress the truth about the image of God, you are willing to dispense with what is called a lump of tissue. You suppress the truth. Why? You can see why God's wrath is being revealed. Because truth is being suppressed. Second, the suppression of truth regarding God's presence in creation. That's the second thing. November 24th, 1859. None of you were there. Okay, I can tell you that. But this happened. Charles Darwin published on the origin of the species. In a little over 150 years, here's what has happened. In virtually every public education institution around this country, this is now fact. Do you understand that? It is taught as fact, not theory. Fact. What does that say? It says that we have now... We've just suppressed the truth. We've suppressed the truth by offering an alternate truth. We are saying this is true. Everything else is false. And God's wrath is being revealed because the truth of God as revealed in creation is being suppressed. You see, acknowledging God's existence challenges our lifestyle choices. 
Acknowledging God's existence challenges our lifestyle choices. You see, if you are nothing more, if I am nothing more than an animal that has evolved, I can do whatever I want to do without any consequences. But when I acknowledge God's existence, it challenges the way I live my life and how I behave. So you're going to dismiss all of that. You see, the truth is being suppressed. And God's wrath is being revealed because of it. Romans 1.20, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made so that people are without excuse. You see, what ends up happening is they exchange, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. This exchange is from God, from God to idols of every kind. Paul says of reptiles, animals, and birds. We need to understand that while we may not bow down at this particular point to images of wood and stone and precious metals, we are so certainly lured from wholehearted devotion to God that he demands and that he deserves. The lures in many cases, or in most cases, are, are good things, perfect, they're perfectly innocent things. But yet what they do is they pull our attention away from the one true God and we begin to worship other things when we're not devoted to God as we should be. You see, Satan is scheming. And he will use any and all means to lure us away from God, to exchange the living eternal God for the created temporary idol. 1 John 5 says, little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourselves from idols, false teachings, moral compromise, listen to this, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. Why is God's wrath being revealed? Well, it's being revealed... Because of the suppression of truth, the exchange of truth for God. Like, yes, God's wrath is a real thing, but there's something else about God's wrath we need to understand. Is that in the midst of God's wrath, God abandons us to our own desires. Now, why is that significant? On three different occasions in this passage of Scripture, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, this is what we understand. The words are used, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. The literal translation of that phrase is God abandons them. Can you imagine being in a place where you're abandoned by God? That's exactly what's happening within our society. When suppression of truth happens, when God's wrath is being revealed, something's happened. God is saying, you want this? You got it. You want to live this way? You got it. You see, God gives us what our carnal nature desires. Fleshly desires, lusts of every kind, thoughts, actions. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised whatsoever that the wrath of God is being revealed. We should not be surprised that the things that we are experiencing in our country and around our world are happening. We want to know why? Here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. You see... Confusion about God breeds confusion about man, which breeds confusion about sexuality, which produces sexual confusion and chaos. And I'm telling you, it's chaos. It's chaos. I don't need to go into all the details. We all know them. It's chaos. And the reason is, is because we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have suppressed the truth. Hosea chapter 8 and verse number 7, powerful verse. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. This is a proverb and that proverb 
is an illustration of sowing and reaping. I think we kind of understand it. The type of seed planted determines the type of plant that would grow and be harvested. This is the principle of duplication. What you sow, you reap. God says that Israel, now hear this, God says that Israel planted wind and would harvest a whirlwind. Taking the wind to mean something worthless and foolish. But we can surmise that Israel's foolishness in the past would result in a veritable storm of compromise, of consequence. In the previous verses, Hosea condemns Israel's idolatry. What are we talking about? We're talking about idolatry, basically. It's kind of at the, kind of at the forefront of everything. Condemns Israel's idolatry. Their foolish pursuit of false gods would reap severe judgment from the Lord. Also in the proverb is the principle of multiplication. A farmer may plant one kernel of corn, but he will reap much more than that. A whole ear. In the same way, Israel's sin of idolatry would bring forth an unamplified consequence. God is warning his people that their idolatry would lead to ruin. You say, oh, Gary, that's, that's fine. But that's ancient Israel. Big deal. It's ancient Israel. I mean, that's, that's thousands of years ago, man. What, what does it have to do with us? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said a little later in Romans. He said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. We need to learn from what, where Israel failed. If we fail to learn what they experienced, mark my word, we will experience what they did. The judgment of God. It should come as no surprise that we're experiencing what we're experiencing in 2021. We're reaping what we have sowed. Hear me. We are reaping what we have sowed. What seemed like a wind is now a whirlwind. Whether it is gender issues, same-sex relationships, injustice, criminalizing speech. Can I just stop there for a moment? Two different occasions in about the last three weeks, I've had opportunities to interact with individuals. One of our missionaries in a foreign country, in Europe, I'll go that far to say in Europe, said, please pray because in the legislature right now is this following bill, that if a pastor stands up and preaches against this, this, and this, they can be taken to jail as criminals. Same thing happening in another country, English-speaking country around the world. Criminalizing of speech. In other words, the kind of message that I am preaching this morning, if I went into, as I continue to go into deeper detail, I could be held in criminal prosecution for what I'm saying. If you don't think that's happening, just look at what's happened in the last 14 months. It's everywhere. Climate's changing. Climate's changing. And many of us have our heads in the sand. We would rather ignore it. We would rather say we just want the status quo to go on like it is. We want to go back to a 50s version of Christianity and just live our lives without consequence, without dealing with So criminalizing speech, human trafficking. I also read, this is just so incredibly troubling, the attempt to normalize pedophilia. Violence in our streets or the issue du jour of 2021. Scripture's clear. The wrath of God is being revealed. Be knowledgeable. That's the first B. Second B ought to be is to be careful. I'm not sure how many times I've used those two words to my 
to my family, spoke to them and to myself, Gary, be careful. We've all used those words. And hear this, don't be careless, but be careful. Okay, don't be careless, be careful. And it is really important, I phrase that just as that for that reason, to be full of care about the things that we're, we're discussing this morning. Romans chapter one, verse 32, the last verse in this passage. Although they knew God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. As I read this verse, there are a couple of questions that confront me. The first is this. Am I doing anything that is contrary to the righteousness of God? Am I doing anything? We all have to, we all have to deal with that. We've got to come to grips with this. Paul said this to the Ephesians. It's a very similar ver- or series of verses like Romans 1. It says, but among you there must not even be the hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Oh my goodness. So am I doing anything that is contrary to the righteousness of God? Here's the second question. Have I approved of behaviors that are contrary to the righteousness of God? Or, or either willfully or by my own inactivity in silence? One more time. Have I approved of behaviors that are contrary to the righteousness of God, either willfully or by my inactivity or silence? I want to tell you, friends, that's convicting. A man by the name of John Murray, um, you wouldn't know him. I don't know him. But he wrote a commentary on the book of Romans. And I believe probably at this time he's in heaven Listen to what John Murray said about that scripture. And you got to listen to it because it's a little bit difficult to kind of get your arms around. But listen to it. The most damning condition is not the practice of iniquity. It is that together with the practice, there is also the support and encouragement of others in the practice of the same. Do you catch that? It's one thing to sin, but there's something even of greater consequence of sinning and approving of others who are sinning. Listen, he goes on. To put it bluntly, we are not only bent on damning ourselves, but we congratulate others In doing those things, we know have their issue in damnation. You say, oh my goodness. What all does it mean? What are the implications? I think the implications are gigantic. We've got to take a look at our lives and the things that we do and be sure before the Lord that we are not living a life of compromise and that we're not agreeing with those who are living a life of compromise. God help us. I wonder how you might answer those questions. Listen to Isaiah 5. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. 
The dark is light and light is dark. Bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those that are, who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. Therefore, they're just like fire licks up stubble and dry grass shivels in the flame. So their roots will rot and their flowers wither. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger burns against his people and why he has raised his fist to crush them. The mountains tremble and the corpses of his people litter the streets like garbage. But even then the Lord's anger is not satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. Oh my God. If every one of us in this room is not convicted by what we are hearing from the word of the Lord, we have our heads in the sand. And we are simply ignoring what's happening around us. Not a person in this room under the sound of my voice could not agree and admit in the last year we have seen that which has been called good, evil, evil, good, sweet, bitter, bitter, sweet. It's happening. Jesus said it would happen. And it is right in front of our eyes. You see, in a climate change environment, we're tempted to call evil good and good evil. Be careful. Be careful. Okay, let's stop for a minute. I didn't, I wasn't able to do this first service because I was on camera. I'm not anymore. All right, here's what I want you to do. Everybody look this way. I want you to take a deep breath in. Come on, everybody. Let it out. Okay. Everybody okay? Everybody okay? This is not, this is not easy. Now, I'm not talking about ease of doing it. I'm just saying it's not easy to hear. But I want to tell you something. I've been living for weeks. You just get it for one day. Okay, so just so have a little sympathy for our brother here, okay? All right. Now that we've taken a deep breath, those are two B's, ought to be's. We've got to be knowledgeable and we've got to be careful. It's pretty bleak when you look at all of this. You can't, you can't ignore that. But I want to say something to you right now. I said it last week and it needs to be repeated. Christ, Christ and his followers are prevailing. Hallelujah. Nothing is going to defeat our God. Jesus Christ is going to be victorious through it all. He is coming for a church without spot and without wrinkle, and he will take us to be with him forever and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do not be discouraged in the midst of it all. You are prevailing because you belong to Jesus. It's difficult. But I'm telling you, Christ and his followers are prevailing. So there are three more ought to be's. The first one is this. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. I love this phrase. Hopelessness, hopelessness precedes true hope. You talk to anyone who has walked through an addiction program. They do not start to see hope until they're at the bottom. When you're at the very bottom, it's then that you begin to look look up and you see that your redemption is drawing near. It is only at that point. Hopelessness 
precedes true hope. I love what Dr. Henry Cloud said. He said, when we become hopeless in regard to a situation, we are ready to change risk and to try something new. I want to tell you something. Some of the things that we've been doing isn't worked. It's time to try something new. How about we stand up for truth? Let us stand upon grace as we stand for truth. It may be something new. It may have a risk. But the payoff is extraordinary because you are pointing people to Christ who is prevailing. There's hope. Be hopeful. We have this anchor, the writer of Hebrews says, as a, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What's he talking about? You read earlier in, in Hebrews chapter 6, you learn it's the promises that God made to Abraham. He said, these promises, they are true. You can hang on to it because it is the word of the living God that you can be assured will occur. Therefore, be hopeful. Secondly, be active. Be active. You know, there are a lot of things that we've just talked about. You have no, and I have no control over. I I can't control the world's economy. Okay. I can't do that. But there are some things I can control. And I'm going to tell you right now, because first service utterly failed. Okay. They just utterly failed. I had to prompt them to do it again. So I'm going to prompt you now before I even get there, all right? There should be a rip-roaring amen on this first one, okay? There are things that you can control. I can live by faith and not in fear. I'm telling you, we have got to not panic just as Jesus said. Why? Because he and his followers are prevailing. Our trust and our hope are in Jesus. Don't fear. Don't fear. You can also control. I can model faith to my family and to my friends. That's something you and I can control. I can control the moral direction of my life. I can make decisions about that. I can control how I lead my family. I can also choose. I can choose to believe. Now hear this. I can choose to believe that God has placed me at this time in history for a reason I may not understand, but for his purposes to be accomplished through my life. And I want to tell you something. Many people are just saying, I want to stick my head in the sand. I want to ignore everything that's going on around me. I'm not going to pay any attention. I'm going to live my life. I am going to get away from all of this stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. Anywhere you go, you're still going to be right in the middle of it. Rather, we need to embrace the fact that in 2021, God has called you to live at this time for this for this season in all of the things that we're experiencing and it is his purposes that will be accomplished through you embrace it that's something you can control and I can control Ephesians 5 there are evil times so make every minute count come on be active finally finally be repentant be repentant And it really is, as you read on through the book of Romans, you get down to chapter 2 and verse number 4, you'll see this about the wrath of God and repentance. And Repentance is everywhere through Scripture. Maybe as a child you did what I did. You jumped inside one of these little dirt devils. You ever jump inside of one of those? Just to see what it was like, you know, see how, you know, when I had hair, my hair would spin, you know, and it was, it was, it was great, you know. Getting dirt in my eyes was not so much fun, but I get in the middle of all this. No big deal. How many of you ever gotten one of these? You wouldn't even think about it, would you? Because you know your life would come to an end. But yet we are willing to jump inside that dirt devil and live there. We are willing to sow the wind, even though at some point we will reap the whirlwind. Without repentance, without repentance, 
this is where we, this is where we find ourselves. And I would just say, God, forgive us. I talked about sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind from Hosea 8. Let me read you Hosea 10. Plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your lives, of your hearts, excuse me, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Repentance. Be hopeful. Be active. Be repentant. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. I pray, O oh Lord, that in these next few moments, you do in us what you desire to do. In Jesus' name.